If you have a Bible, open to Mark chapter 14. And we're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. This is page 850 in the Red Pew Bibles. And I think you'll find that there's a lot of correlation in this text between what Kim just shared with us. So Mark 14, 1 through 9, it was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has appointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. The word of the Lord. Good morning. As Kimberly shared earlier, yeah, we've known each other for 15 plus years. Um, So you can gather any dirt you want on my wife, Katie, from her. Um, There there won't be anything on me. Because I have enough stuff on them, too. So um, (laughs) let's pray. Lord, um, we thank you so much for really faithful friends that continue to serve you all these years. And we pray for your blessing upon um, Solid Ground International as well as the Shields family. Pray, Lord, um, for all the different things that are happening in our world today that are so unsettling, from earthquakes that have hit Mexico to hurricanes hitting the Caribbean and destroying Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic and parts of Florida, uh, Cuba, to the rumors of wars that are happening to the division in our country, to the racial injustice that's happening, so many things that are occurring. And yet, Lord, your word is so timely as we've discussed the Olivet Discourse in in this past month in Mark 13, that you've warned us not to be led astray, that you've told us not to be alarmed by these things, to be on guard, to stay awake, to stay engaged in your business, to go about doing your work. And Lord, as we move into chapter 14 and we start talking about this lady and, and, and how she's showing her worship of you, would you speak to your church? We're, we're not simply just interested in gaining more information and knowledge about the scripture, Lord. We're not just interested in feeling a conviction because it's telling us something, but God, we do want to live out those things in Mark 13 of staying awake being on guard, not being led astray, not being alarmed. Help us to be transformed by these things and not just have them in our head, in Jesus' name. Amen. I always find God's word really, really timely. Um, 
And, and here uh, is, is this really, really wonderful story of, of a very beautiful person. And it's, it's sandwiched in between, if you're just kind of looking at the geography of the Bible, it's sandwiched right in between um, these religious leaders who want to kill Jesus, and they're looking for a way to do it. And then she's kind of right in the middle of this. And then on the other end of this story is Judas Iscariot, who's going to betray Jesus. And so here's this bright glimmer of light right in between these, these really dark, rotten people. And in verses 1 and 2, we, we have these chief priests and scribes um, that are ushering us into a, a really dark period in the gospel. Um, Jesus is heading to the cross. And right before we get into that pit of darkness, we're, we're given this really inspirational story of this lady when these religious leaders have been really hell-bent on how to get rid of Jesus. And, and one of Jesus' closest friends, one who has been hanging out with him for three solid years, eating with him and communing with him, is, is while all this is happening, is simultaneously plotting on how he's going to betray him. And so let's just read these first two verses because they tell us what's happening at this time. It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. It has been some time that these religious leaders have wanted to get rid of Jesus because they don't like what he has been teaching. They don't like what he's been doing. They really want to kill him by this point, but they know that he has the support of the people, so they can't do that right in front of them. It brings me back to Psalm chapter 2, where the psalmist wrote this. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Let Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me... I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and with rejoice with trembling, kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Now back to our story in Mark. Uh, in verse 3 it reads, and, and while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So we have another example of a woman showing the world what generosity, what sacrifice and worship look like. And I say another because not too far back ago in chapter 12, we had another story of a woman who gave two mites. She was a poor widow who gave sacrificially, generously everything that she had. And Jesus said of that poor widow in chapter 12, verses 43 and 44, 
Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. You know, when we think about giving, we tend to think about quantity. We tend to think about how much we gave. And back when we were talking in chapter 12, we were talking about how it's not just quantitative, there's also a qualitative gift behind that because the question isn't simply how much one gives, but there's also another question attached to that. How much do you have left? She did more than anyone else. Her proportion and giving out of her poverty showed the disciples how great she is in the kingdom of God. And here we are with another story of a wonderful lady who who challenged how the disciples viewed the kingdom of God. The, The disciples still don't quite get it, even after hanging out with Jesus consistently and regularly for three years. And you notice what this woman brought with her, an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. And this wasn't a a gift an average person would actually have. We're informed that it was really costly, and it's the the cost that really bothers the, the disciples. And so when we put it in our kind of monetary terms, we would have to think about it more in terms of this is about a year's worth of wages in perfume. So this is about a year's worth. So just imagine with me just for a moment that this fragrance that was there, it would have permeated the home. It would have permeated everything in there, including the clothing of the people there. And it would have smelled like that for a few days on these people. And so this is a really, really extravagant, luxurious item. Just think about one year's worth of wages in perfume. And it wasn't meant to be used the way that she used it. Like this, this, was, this was an asset. This was her investment portfolio. This was her savings account. This, is, this wasn't something that she actually bought. This was most likely a family heirloom that was left for her to, to, for her to keep for a really, really special occasion, for a really special purpose, to be used as something like this, like as a dowry to be used as a dowry for her wedding, or if it wasn't used for that, for her, her own death, that she was to use it for herself, to anoint herself with this perfume, not, not that she can anoint herself and then die, that that perfume would be used on her by somebody else, but she doesn't use it that way. She pours it over Jesus, who was about to die. And so the cost of this perfume wasn't just in the cost of currency, because I, I think that's where we tend to go. We, we have to think deeper than this, because you have to think, what does this mean for her future? Not just the dollars and cents behind this, because this is not just a superficial action. This was an intentional act of pouring out her entire future on Jesus, all of it. Because this represented to her security. And she gave it to Jesus. A year's worth of saving given to Jesus. So that idea of a rainy day fund or that just in case money. Because, you know, if in case something happened, I'm disabled. I can't work anymore or whatever that is. That that was supposed to help me survive for a year. And she gave it away in a matter of minutes. 
And in that alabaster flask lied all of her aspirations and her dreams and her security and all of her future plans. They're in that. It was representative of her past, her present, her future, and, and the status that she held or holds with this perfume is gone once she breaks the flask and pours it over Jesus' head. It is gone in a matter of moments. You notice that she didn't just pour like a few drops, you know, like here, and then keep the rest. She breaks the flask, meaning there's no turning back. This is it. You can't take that back broken. It, it's done. So in the case of breaking it in a tomb when somebody died, that's what it was to be used for. They'd break it in the tomb. It's done. It's gone. It's for this purpose, not to ever be used again. And so if you didn't break it, then you can reserve some. You can like just pour a couple drops into it, but, but it's not to be done that way. This lady had no reservations. She broke it for Jesus. Now, on occasions when it was ceremonially broken in the tombs. This, this alabaster flask, after it was broken, they would get the shards and they would kind of spread it around the tomb. And so some of the nard would be left in the flask and so some of it would be here and some of it there and you can kind of smell it throughout the entire tomb. And they didn't keep any of it for themselves to show that what they had done was pure. That, that it didn't have any hint that they kept any of it for themselves for personal gain. This was all for this person in honor of this person, and it was all for them. There's, there's, it was an ultimate sign of a sacrificial love, a loyalty, a trust. We're not keeping any of this for ourselves. This is for this person that we love so much, and it's all theirs. And so this act seems like a premeditated act from this lady. It doesn't seem like something done on a whim because she wasn't even at her house. We're told that she was at Simon the leper's house, who Jesus had healed from leprosy, made it possible for them even to all be there together, and it seemed like she knew what she was going to do. She knew where Jesus was going to be. And sometime during this get-together, she went out and got this alabaster flask and carried, it, carried out this really extravagant gesture. She didn't just pour a few drops on Jesus' head. She breaks the flask, and then it goes all over him. Now, while this... I always kind of wondered if she broke it over his head. Like, did you, did you just hit God? Like, whoosh. Anyway, I'll... We'll find out later. Um, and while this beautiful act of love is happening inside Simon the leper's house in Bethany, outside of those walls, inside of Jerusalem, is Judas. Judas, who's there, one of Jesus' closest friends, he's plotting, he's conspiring with these religious leaders on, on how to get Jesus because they want to kill him and how he's going to help him. And he does this for 30 pieces of silver, which is not a lot of money at all. And so Jesus was hanging out with his friends. One of his closest friends is working out how to sell him out over there in Jerusalem. And in the middle of all of this evil murder and betrayal, Here's this lady anointing Jesus. There's a psalm that speaks to this. And um, we've been playing it on the playlist. And my preschooler has been singing this song she learned from her sisters. I'm not going to attempt to sing it. 
Because um, I'm just really humble, you know. So, But it's a song um, based on Psalm 23. Psalm 23, it starts in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It is the cutest thing to hear from a four-year-old. Now, verse 4 in Mark chapter 14, there were some who said in themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Now, you can see that there were multiple people involved in this reprimand. And if they really knew what was going to happen to Jesus, they would have just all embraced this moment. But they didn't. They, they, they were clueless. And they have no regard as to what Jesus was about to do. It, it really had nothing to do with the poor. See, Judas went out to sell Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, and the Gospel of John recorded for us that it was Judas who said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? In John chapter 12. And then John goes on to write in verse 6 of chapter 12, he said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. So this wasn't about money going to the poor at all, they were just really resentful toward her. And they attacked her because of their own insecurity and this lack of understanding. And she gave everything she had to Jesus Christ without any reservation. Now, we live in a culture that, that's really concerned with moderation because they always say things, all in moderation. Everything in moderation. It's okay in moderation. And we, we have this idea that as long as it's in moderation, then anything's okay. And we have this belief. But the flask was broken. There was no moderation. It was broken. It's all gone. And, and so many of us hold back from God when really there isn't a reason to do that. Because no amount of sacrifice could be too much to God. That woman who gave two mites, who was a poor widow, gave everything she had. This lady with that alabaster flask gave everything she had. And all the while, we have his disciples who are just kind of all talk. And Judas is kind of skimming from the top of his money bag. And we have these religious leaders who are kind of living fat out there in the temple and synagogues. And they're just kind of accumulating things because they made the temple a marketplace. And they're just kind of you know, putting money in their own pockets. A question for us to ask is, you know, what, what are we holding back from God? It could be money. It could be, but, but money represents a lot more than just currency, just like that alabaster flask. It represents more than just money. Now, for these ladies, it represented trust, it represented their hopes, their dreams, their security, their loyalty, their allegiance. It wasn't just money. There is a lot that is attached to money. And that's why it's so hard for people to part with it. It's not just the dollars and cents behind it. It, it actually 
extracts from you something deeper that you're holding back from God. And when you give to God sacrificially, it begins to reveal those things that are holding us back and those things that are preventing us to, to be set free, that those things are actually enslaving us. And when we give sacrificially, we begin to see how powerful greed is in your life. You begin to see how powerful covetousness is, how idolatry, envy, you start to see a number of things start popping up as to what you are actually in bondage to. And so their scolding of this lady really revealed the conditions of their hearts. And you'd, you'd think they, they would have praised her for her actions, but they don't do that. Instead, they give her a really hard time for her act of adoration. And you'd think they'd follow her example, but they don't. These guys who have been living, eating, hanging out with Jesus for three solid years, but she seems really more in tune to what's going to happen to Jesus than what Jesus has already told them over and over again what will happen to them. So I wonder, what is the greater offense? Is the greater offense these religious leaders over in Jerusalem who want to kill Jesus, or is it this, one of his closest friends who's been living with him for three years and the closest friends, the other 11, that are right there with him, failing, refusing to recognize he's going to be killed even after he's told them time and time again that he's going to be killed by them. And they're pretending that everything's just fine. What's worse? And in the middle of these rotten people and this darkness is this woman, and I think she got it. I think she understood what's going to happen to Jesus and rather than her using that alabaster flask of pure nard, one year's worth of wages on herself, whether that be a dowry for her wedding or for her own funeral, she used it on Jesus. Because she understood. And they were scolding her about it in verse 6. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. In terms of addressing the economically poor here, we, we must remember that Jesus himself was poor. He said in Mark chapter 8, verse 20, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And what Jesus did in verse 7 was he quoted from the Old Testament. He quotes Deuteronomy chapter 15, verse 11, where it's written, For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hand to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. So we obviously have a responsibility to love, to serve the poor, and we have this opportunity to love and serve them. And so here Jesus telling them, I'm not always going to be with you guys physically in the flesh. And he's acknowledging that what Mary did for him in the flesh was good, that, that it doesn't shake the responsibility or opportunity that you guys all have to the poor. But Mary, in this circumstance, 
and those like her don't have to feel bad for using their resources to honor God. You know, sometimes people can be so judgmental about how others use their funds to honor God. When maybe we need to talk with other people to find out what the story is before we begin passing judgment on them. We are such a judgmental and condemning people, even inside the church. I mean, we, we hear it all the time because, you know, we, we do get questioned about how we use funds and stuff like that. More so earlier on, not so much now. I think there's a building trust within our body that it continues to grow, and I love that. And we, we want to be questioned by you. We want, we want to be accountable to you. I, I want to point out this phrase. It's one of my favorite phrases. It's in verse 8. She has done what she could. I love it. It's just a wonderful word from Jesus. Have you ever questioned what you are to do? Have you ever questioned, like, man, God, what's your will? What? You have all these questions, and, and oftentimes I just go back to this. I'm going to do what I can. Just do what I can. Has anyone ever questioned you on what you're doing? I get questioned all the time. And I can just go back to this. I'm like, I, I'm just doing what I can. Do what you can. You know, we can second guess so many things. But we just need to do what we can. She has done what she could. Whenever you question what can be done, just do what you can. And we will always have people who judge what we do. Always. Just do what you can. People who judge what you do probably don't have the whole story. In fact, they, they don't. They don't have the whole story. But as we honor God with our actions, that is ultimately who we're aiming to please. And Jesus knows what we are trying to do. He knew what she was doing. She anointed my body beforehand for burial. And what all those other people missed, she and Jesus knew what she was doing. Jesus knows what you are doing. So what was she doing? She was anointing Jesus' body for burial. You see, in that culture, bodies were anointed before they were entombed, before the burial. And so typically a dead body would not be placed in a tomb before being anointed, which would have happened to Jesus if not for her right here in chapter 14. Now turn with me to Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 42. It reads this, And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died, and summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Back to this cultural aspect of things. Corpses were anointed before being placed in the tomb. Was Jesus' corpse anointed after he was taken down from the cross? So aside from this lady 
And what she did with the alabaster flask of pure nard, no. Because he was tortured before his death and was not anointed before being placed inside the tomb. He was taken down from the cross, wrapped in linen, and then placed in the tomb. And it was hurried because of Sabbath. Now turn with me to the next verse in chapter 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. See, they're doing it after the fact because there was no time because of the Sabbath. And so they went to anoint Jesus' corpse after he was placed in the tomb because they didn't get a chance to do it beforehand, which is what they were supposed to do because of Sabbath. And they wouldn't be allowed to anoint Jesus' body before putting him in the tomb because there was no time. So it was this incident in Mark chapter 14 with this alabaster flask of pure nard that was recognized by Jesus and this lady as the anointing before he was being placed into the tomb. See, she, she, she recognized that. She anointed Jesus before burial. She did something that they didn't do, that they couldn't recognize. She received this grace from God to get it, to understand this. And perhaps she's the one, she, she's one of those people that understood what Jesus was saying about he, he must suffer, he must die, he was going to rise on the third day, and she got it. And the woman was one of the few that got it, if not the only one. And the other people are scolding her and condemning her, rebuking, judging. And yet Jesus praises her. For those of you who are doing what you can to honor Jesus and others don't see it. And actually maybe others are slandering you. Others are gossiping about you. Just keep doing what you're doing. Keep serving him. You're, you're doing what you can in the name of Jesus, and he sees it. Because haters going to hate, 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 hate. Shake it off. <laughs> and maybe this message is tailored for you. Maybe it's just something that you need to hear swiftly. <laughs> Verse 9. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Just like today. It's happening. Her story. Like what? They, they scolded her for doing what she did. And Jesus said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She did a great thing. <clears throat> a really great thing. And those of us who are doing what we can in the name of Jesus, we need to keep doing what we're doing. To do what we can despite what those haters have to say, because this lady had a bunch of them, and haters who are Jesus' closest followers and friends who didn't get what she did. Now, can you identify with any of the characters in this, this story? And maybe you're like this lady in this story who, who did what she could for Jesus, or maybe you're one of these self-righteous haters who scolded her, and I know that both of these characters in, exist in this very room. Some of you are like this lady in here. I am praying for you. 
I know it is really difficult and challenging to serve, love, minister, and care for people when others are reprimanding, condemning, and judging and scolding you over it. I get it, because I've been there, I am currently there, and I'm going to continue to be here because I serve Jesus, and it's just part of the ministry. So just understand that, that what we do, we get this. And now for you haters who are here too. And I'm speaking to myself also because I'm both. Because I'm guilty of both of these things. No, that, the other thing's not really a guilt thing. I'm guilty of this. And we have a lot of these types here actually at the church. Actually, I think we have more of these than the other. Unfortunately. And the reason why is this. Because... Our Bay Area mentality here is just a petri dish of this type of mindset. This is just how we function. We are so critical, cynical, and opinionated. Everything, no matter what it is. Like, I'm drinking hot water, and some of you are like, oh, I can't believe he's drinking hot water. He should be drinking coffee or tea or whatever. Like, what degree is that heated to? That's not good for you. Like, all these things are going through. I know it. And I love it and I hate it at the same time. I love it because it's, it's sharpening and it really speaks to what's happening around people and what really bothers us and I love that stuff. And I hate it also because it's like, really, I, I, I just wanna love you and you're just like treating me like I, I'm, I have something against you. I don't get it. But you look at this story and what she has done will be told in memory of her. And it's, that's pretty fantastic. I'm just like, you go, girl. Awesome. And she showed this gratitude to Jesus who became poor so that we might become rich. And she let go of what represented to her security, safety, stability, her future. And she entrusted that to Jesus. Is there something that we're holding on to, unwilling to let go of, that shows this lack of trust that we have in Jesus? And what she let go of, this was, it was extravagant. It was, it was what was treasured by her and her family, and she gave it up. What represents your identity, your security, your, your future, and how tightly are you holding to that? And maybe that's a conversation that you need to have with God, that, that that's controlling your life and holding you back from what God sees as memorable work. See, 2,000 years later, here we are talking about what she did. So, so where are we with God? Are, are we where this lady is or where those, are, are we those who are reprimanding her? How, how do we hold on to what is security for us? How do we hold on to our aspirations and our future and, and, and what we want to be, how much we make and what, what, what we do, everything we want to be known by? There's some business that we need to deal with here with God because how do we really view Jesus? Do we, do we really trust him? And maybe there's someone here who thinks God owes them something. Maybe there are others who think they've already made huge sacrifices for God and we don't need to do anymore. And maybe there are some who are holding back serving God because they are just serving in moderation. But this story is in remembrance of her. What we say, what others say, we don't hold that much weight as much as when Jesus speaks well of us. 
And we know that those who were supposed to know God best, the religious leaders, his own disciples, those who were supposed to be closest to Jesus, they don't get it. And who gets it? It's the widow who gives two mites. It's this woman who breaks the alabaster jar. Who are we? Let me end with just this one passage in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my wounds, or of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let us... God, we thank you so much for this woman and her example. God, um, would you reveal to us the things that are holding us back from being able to see ultimate truths? You gave her the grace to recognize her role in anointing your body before burial that there was just a really great purpose in what she did. And God, would you have us not be so judgmental and condemning as a community to get the full story of things uh, before we do that to, to hear what you are doing. We know that you are working in this church, God, and we want to be receptive to that in Jesus' name. Amen.